The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a show that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview a high-profile public figure. In each show, I also highlight an exceptional company, organization, charity, or even an individual that does great work in the community. I have two interviews for you today. The first one is with John Katz, who is the president of the Santa Monica Democratic Club, followed by Ashley Shine, who is the star and creator of the web series TMI. And Ashley is going to talk to us about still bisexual, by visibility in film. Here are a few headlines from this morning and over the weekend. Dozens of wildfires tearing through communities across the West have killed 33 people and authorities fear dozens more are missing. Uh, Three of the five largest wildfires in state history are burning now, officials say. One of those blazes, the LNU complex fire, which was about 96% contained as of yesterday, has burned more than 363,000 acres. On Sunday, LA Mayor Eric Garcetti pushed back on President Donald Trump's frequent characterization of wildfires, like those currently ravaging the West, as simply a forest management issue. Garcetti said, This is climate change, and this is an administration that's put its head in the sand. At a campaign rally in Nevada on Saturday night, Trump said his anger about a recent Democratic ad that highlighted his alleged comments disparaging dead American soldiers had freed him to take his campaign to the next level. He told the crowd, now I can be really vicious. Billionaire and former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg is planning to spend at least $100 million in the crucial battleground state of Florida in support of Democratic nominee Joe Biden. Last week, uh, an NBC News Marist College poll showed the race is in dead heat in the Sunshine State, with Biden and President Trump each garnering support of 48% of likely voters. Vice President Joe Biden expands his lead as Trump's approval drops. Voters increasingly dislike President's performance during COVID-19, but majority of voters back his handling of the economy. Vice President Biden's lead over President Trump reached double digits this month as Trump's approval ratings declined amid widespread disagreement with his handling of coronavirus pandemic according to a new poll by Wall Street Journal and NBC News. The Blunt Post with Vic. John Katz has served as the president of the Santa Monica Democratic Club since 2017, and he has been a member of the club since 2010. He is also an elected delegate to the California Democratic Party, where he serves on the Affirmative Action Committee. Additionally, John is the vice chair of the Westside Democratic Headquarters, which provided the grassroots army of volunteers that flipped seven House seats in California in 2018. 
Hello, John. Welcome to the Blunt Post with Vic. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me, Vic. Thanks for being on the show. Um, you are the president of the Santa Monica Democratic Club, as well as um, you have various other roles in other organizations, too. So you are sort of in the middle of it all, if you will. And, um, you know, the Blunt Post with Vic is going to be covering um, election all the way to November 3rd. So I wanted to talk to someone who is sort of knowledgeable on a national, regional, and local level and, you know, just get your commentary and your perspective and such. So my first question to you would be, since things move and, and change, not just daily, but hour by hour, your assessment of where we are today, politically, as a nation. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Well, I'm looking out the window now, and I'm seeing smoke every in every direction. I can't see the sky. The entire state's on fire. Um, you can't go outside without wearing a mask for two reasons, but the air quality and the uh, national pandemic. And the economy is in complete disrepair uh, locally and nationally uh, with no end in sight. So as far as how we're doing, you know, not that good. Um, and so that's why this election is so important because, you know, Donald Trump is clearly taking no interest in helping to improve the quality of this country and the quality of life that we all have. And Joe Biden, who was not my first choice in the primary, is still going to be taking us in that right direction of beginning to sort out all of these problems either caused by or exacerbated by Donald Trump. And so the polls have Biden up by about seven, seven and a half points right now on average. That's a pretty good zone to be in. I think if you were a little bit closer, I would be pretty anxious, but it's pretty hard to imagine Donald Trump winning the Electoral College with that kind of a Biden lead in the national polls. Um, but we're not taking anything for granted. So you mentioned a bunch of different organizations I'm involved with. One of them is the West Side Democratic Headquarters, which has been active for the last several election cycles, including the most recent midterms, where we flipped seven House seats in 2018 here in California. And so with through my role in that organization, we have been doing phone banks almost every single day, text banking multiple times a day, sending out hundreds of postcards all around the country, you know, and lots of other activities to make sure that this national election goes the right way this time. And that there's no chance that on November 4th, I'll be sitting there thinking I should have done more. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Thank you for that. John, there's a lot of great information. I want to go back and address sure. a couple of them. Yeah, of course. I, I tend to be very sort of cautious, and I wasn't really being optimistic until about, about a week ago. And I have to admit, part of it was when we discovered the disparaging remarks that uh, President Trump made about our veterans, and mm -hmm. then followed by Bob Woodward's book and the revelations of the fact that he knew about COVID-19 and how serious it was and right. kept it from the American people. And so now I am cautiously optimistic, 
And uh, you have to be cautiously optimistic, yes. you, or have to be cautious. Let me put it that way. You yes. don't have to be optimistic. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it's it's. Um, after what happened in 2016, the lesson is learned that you cannot be too confident about this stuff, and you have to play it like you're behind every step of the way because mm-hmm. we just can't risk that there's going to be a hundred people in Michigan or something that choose not to vote, and then that could be the difference. And also. I, I, you know, we've seen this before. They can have all kinds of tricks that they're going to pull out last minute. Well, yeah, exactly. So let's, so let's get into that for a second. I mean, we're seeing the the postmaster general is ordering, you know, these these uh, mail drop boxes to be taken away and slowing down the services. Luckily, that seems to have been called out in advance enough that there's a lot of eyes on it, so we should be able to watch it. But that's not the only kind of intimidation. There's also the old-fashioned, you know, guarding the, the polling places in the cities to make sure that black people can't vote and, um, you know, blocking language access to make sure that other types of minorities are not able to vote. Um, what I'm The reason I'm able to sleep at night is because the Democratic Party and Joe Biden's campaign have hired one of the best people in the business, Mark Elias, mm-hmm. to be their election lawyer. And we had him come to our Democratic Club a few months ago to explain some of what they're doing. And all I can say is they're very much on top of this kind of stuff. Lawsuits are being filed in all the different states where they're trying to suppress. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns with the mail vote and with the suppression that, um, you know, that's why I think, you know, even if I saw that Biden was up by five, I would be a little scared because I think that five points is within the margin of uncertainty of this unusual format for the election to happen. So I want to see, you know, where we are now, I feel a little bit better than if we were a couple points closer where we saw with Hillary being three points up in the popular vote, that was actually close enough for her to lose the, uh, the um, electoral college. But with seven and a half points up, it's you're pretty far outside of that range of possibilities. So we just have to keep them, you know, at this point or higher. And hopefully when the debates come, that's what we'll keep them. You know, people will really draw the contrast at that point. Yeah, I hope so. Going back to to DeJoy, you know, it still fascinates me that he came and uh, to con- in front of Congress to testify, and he lied. And he also blatantly said that he has no plans to replace the the post boxes right. as well as the processing machines, and he has done nothing to do that so far. And then last week we heard about the the sort of misinformation that the post office was sending to voters about voting and sort of confusing people, which is, mm-hmm. it just seems like they just, they're, they're like in this tank and they're just bulldozing themselves in regardless right. of what anyone is saying, you know, whether it be members of Congress or uh, attorneys. And it just seems like they just run their show. Well, the Republicans and people that are keeping them in power are 
they understand this election in terms of power and keeping the power to those who have it. And that is the same uh, whether you're talking about Donald Trump, you know, and his his egomaniacal obsession with, uh, you know, being being the the best at everything or whether you're talking about the more in the weeds issues of individual secretaries of state or county registrars that are doing suppressive tactics. This is all about knowing and acknowledging that they can't win this election by just having the people vote. Right. They can only win if they suppress a certain number of votes. I don't think anyone's talking about Donald Trump winning the popular vote at all. No one's even suggesting that. The question is just, will the election be free and fair and held correctly, or will this election be tampered with in such a way that it can't be trusted as the result? Yeah. And one thing that's really scary to think about in that context is this is an election where almost definitely the losing side is going to think that it was not a fair election. And that's a really scary thing for the next four years to think about. But that's a, if we get to that point, that's a good thing, you know. Yeah, let's let's have that problem. It'll be a quality problem to have for Democrats to have to deal with that stigma, but we'll know the truth. I wanted to ask you this: so, former mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, um, just pledged to spend a hundred million dollars or more yeah, in Florida. How do you feel about that? Do you think that'd be effective? Well, um, when I saw Michael Bloomberg giving a speech uh, at the convention, I said to myself, "Okay, well, hopefully this is going to come with some donations attached to it. I mean, he's he's not a very strong uh, progressive Democrat, and he did not do very well during the primaries, as we saw when he was face to face with Elizabeth Warren and uh, Bernie Sanders and even Pete Buttigieg got a few attacks against him, Um, you know. But he he the big advantage he has is his, you know, financial war chest. And he's definitely coming to play now. I was wondering if it was going to happen. And I actually thought it was a pretty smart move that the Bloomberg money would go to Florida, because um, I think that that is a market that he probably has a better understanding of than, you know, some of the other swing districts or swing states. Right. And uh, he may, you know, look, I don't like to see a whole lot of spending in politics, but if we're going to win, that's that's uh, what's going to need to happen. And um, I think that if you can win Florida, uh, you, you're you basically that's it. It's a that's game the changer. Election. It's a game changer. Yeah. I, I read that. I just read today. No one has won the White House without Florida, except for Bill Clinton in 1992 in the modern era. Right. So it's a very, very important state. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with John Katz, the president of the Santa Monica Democratic Club. Yeah, well, I think think Gore won it too, but that's another discussion for another day. So I wanted to ask you, in terms of you know, we obviously want to keep the House and also win the Senate. In terms of the Senate um, elections for the, for the Senate, what are the hot spots? Who are we looking for? Who needs support? 
Um, can you repeat that again? Well, in terms of the U.S. Senate race, um, I'm, I oh, personally am optimistic that Susan yeah. Collins will not get reelected. Uh, Mitch McConnell and uh, Lindsey Graham, if possible. What are some of the what are some of the races that you have you're looking yeah. at? So what are the hotspots? Got it. So this is uh, actually one area that I've been following for. I just I'm, I'm like obsessed with the Senate races because it's so many different individual races that when you look at the total results combined determines the control of the legislative body of the United States. So it's just so interesting how so many different idiosyncratic races can have that cumulative effect. Um, when I look at this election cycle, there's a lot going on and it started with people thinking there was no chance that Democrats could take over the Senate. Um, we are likely possibly to lose the Doug Jones seat in Alabama. Um, you know, he, he's <clears throat> a below, he's pulling below water right now, but we'll see what happens. Um, but so that if we do lose that one, we would need to pick up four seats. And the easiest path to four seats is Arizona, where we're currently ahead and where our volunteers are calling every single day to get Mark Kelly elected. <clears throat> uh, Colorado, where John Hickenlooper is doing very well. He seems to be ahead by high single digits. Then Maine, as you mentioned, Susan Collins is uh, down by about four or five points consistently. That's a good sign. And uh, the fourth one would be North Carolina, where Tom Tillis is the incumbent, and he seems to be slightly behind the Democrat, Cal Cunningham, but it's only by one or two points. And then as the backup options, you add in Iowa with Teresa Greenfield, um, Montana with Steve Bullock, you know, he's the governor there, so he's very popular, and they've elected, they've got another Democratic senator, John Tester, so even though that's a red state, that's a possible opportunity for us. And then there's some more long-shot reaches, like you said, uh, Kentucky and South Carolina, and there's two seats in Georgia and one in Texas. Those would all be the long shot. But I think the simplest way to win the Senate back Arizona, Colorado, Maine, North Carolina. Those are the four, you know, uh, that that we will flip the Senate with. And if we can take Iowa and Montana with us, too, then, then we'll have a little bit of a cushion. How about uh, the House? The House is looking really strong right now, and I don't even think Republicans think they've got a chance to flip it back. Um, we spent so much time in 2018 we were singularly focused on the House, and we flipped 40 seats, seven of which were in California. Right. So for our work in, in the House, the West Side headquarters has been mostly focused on defending those seven seats that we flipped in 2018. That includes uh, the, the uh, Katie Hill seat, which is now going to be Christy Smith's seat in a few months. Um, so there's six incumbents we're defending and then one we have to win back because we lost it in a special election. So, um, our focus has been completely on those seats here in California. There's a, um, great line that I heard from Congresswoman Julia Brownlee 
and she said that when you win a seat for the first time, you're only renting it. You have to win it the second time in order to own it. And so, like so Julia Brownlee, who used to be our assemblywoman here in Santa Monica, now is in Congress uh, representing Ventura County. And Julia uh, flipped that seat the first time. It was a Republican-held seat. And the second time when she was running for re-election, she had a really tough challenge that she beat back. And now the Republicans stopped coming for her. And I think that's the same thing with these seats. I mean, some of them will always be swing seats, but I think that if we can get all these people reelected, then the demographic changes will make it so that we'll really have a solid, those seats will be solid blue. Yeah, I've, I've been looking at some of the numbers, and I think there is a lot of support for Congresswoman Katie Porter, uh, Congressman yeah. Mike Levin, that's G- right. Gil Cisneros. Um, right think. now, I can tell you that uh, our efforts are focused mostly on Gail Cisneros, Harley Ruda, and Christy Smith. Those are the three seats that um, we're feeling need the most attention. Harley Ruda's got a really tough opponent, Michelle Steele, who's really popular in, in Orange County Republican politics. Um Gil Cisneros is facing a rematch with the same woman who he ran against last time. So, you know, a lot of people with who don't pay close attention on politics, they probably think that she won. And uh, then Christy Smith, of course, you know, is a tough one because it's a challenge race against an incumbent Republican. So uh, and, and furthermore, that the Republican there, Mike Garcia, has a Hispanic surname. And we know that that has, a, uh, you know, an effect on the results. Um, so so it's 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 really, uh, you know, those are the three that we're focused on laser focus. Yeah, I've I've interviewed Congresswoman Porter, Congressman Cisneros, as well as uh, uh, Congressman Ruda as well just recently. And yeah, they're great. They're, they're really great to get to know. I mean, 2018 was a different kind of election where we were going on the campaign trail, obviously. And so I was actually going down to Orange County, meeting Harley Ruda, meeting Gil Cisneros, you know, going to the the knock on the doors with them. Um, I remember we had a picnic in the 25th district where, where Katie Hill, who was then in Congress and Christy Smith, who was in the assembly, both were there. Uh, meeting their constituents at, in their freshman term. And that ended up being a great thing because now with Christy running for the House seat, all those Katie Hill voters already know who she is. Yeah. Thank you so, for that. So, I mean, that kind of retail politicking, and they're all really good at it, yeah. this, this particular group of people. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with John Katz, the president of the Santa Monica Democratic Club. Well, you're giving um, you're giving me, I'm sure, our listeners a lot of hope. So, and I'm going to ask you toward the end what what we can do for sure. us, a call to action. But before that, I want to come and focus on California. If mm-hmm. you can uh, talk a little bit about California and what's happening here. Well, California is in an interesting situation. So we have Democratic control of every constitutional office in the state 
we have a supermajority in the legislature in both houses, and we have a voting population that voted for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump at a higher percentage than any other state in the country, literally the bluest state. Right. So you take all of that, and then you look at this legislative session that happened uh, this past year. And what happened was we saw hundreds of really good bills to deal with the huge problems we have, whether that has to do with COVID, police reform, housing, environmental issues. There's so many really important bills that the legislature was working on. And for some reason, due to the leadership of the, of the legislature, all of those bills popped up the last day with all sorts of, you know, weird things that had to happen. This bill had to go back to that house and had to get it reapproved with this minor change to it. And there were, it resulted in midnight striking and all of the important bills not passing. Mm-hmm. And that means no action was taken on police reform. No action was taken on housing. No action was taken on environmentalism. And as we started this conversation, when if you look out the window and you realize that that's just completely unacceptable. Right. So, so what is the cause of it? I, I am still trying to figure that out. I, I think that when you look at a lot of these bills, people were just not going to vote. They were just not going to the floor to vote, hoping that somebody else would take the hard vote for them. Yeah. And I think that's really sad when you have a supermajority you know, the point of having a supermajority is that gives a few members the ability not to take tough votes. And if we can't even pass, these were not controversial, far left, you know, Bernie Sanders, socialist style ideas. These were pretty standard things. These were ideas of just standard California leading the way, you know, type of ideas. And urgent. And instead, it was completely. It was an embarrassment. I, I hope that the legislature, hope the members of the legislature are figuring out what happened there and will vote to have different leadership in the so, next term. So, John, we get blunt on this show. Uh, who are we talking about here? Well, yeah, I mean, I would look at the leadership in the Assembly uh, to a lesser extent the Senate, but both houses have to shoulder some of the blame here. Um, uh, you know, Anthony Rendon, who is the Assembly Speaker, um, is the person who is in charge of setting the agenda and making sure that these bills pass on time. And he's also in charge of, you know, as we saw Nancy Pelosi during the Affordable Care Act, it was super close and she was calling people and twisting arms and, you know, putting pressure on the appropriate people to make sure that the bill passed. And you compare that to what happened last week in Sacramento I don't know. I don't know what he was doing. Well, I don't know why these people didn't come out and vote. Some of them maybe are moderate, but you would still expect them to come out and vote for some of these things that are that are common sense ideas like banning plastics. You know, that shouldn't be too controversial, um, you know. And so I, I largely blame the leadership for not being able to control their caucus. Um, You know, it's easy to blame the moderates and the people who didn't vote for the legislation, of course, 
have a large share of the blame too, but ultimately when you look at Nancy Pelosi, that's somebody who knows how to lead her caucus and she only puts things to vote when she knows the votes are there. Yeah. And we did not see that from Anthony Rendon. Okay. Thank you for um, informing us about that. Um, I appreciate it. We're almost running out of time. So I wanted to um, ask you a couple of um, last questions. One is, those who are listening, what can they do? What can we do? Um, whether you're in California or just across the country, um, just your closing thoughts and anything else that you'd like to cover that I did not. Definitely. Well, one thing that this year offers us that past years did not is the organizations that are doing a lot of the great training work for volunteer for volunteering for this election. Uh, you don't have to be in that person in that particular city at that particular time to get the training. So you can go on, you know, our group, the West Side Democratic Headquarters. We did a, a phone bank for Christie's. No, sorry, a text bank for Christie Smith. And we had 200, 300 people logging in from all over the country, you know, from, you know, from the East Coast, from the South, from the Midwest to take our training. And the same thing is true. So when we do our, we have our trainings, other organizations around the country have their trainings. It's all happening online on Zoom. So it's really easy to work together with groups that we typically wouldn't work with to create that network of uh, opportunities. So the best things anybody can do right now, there's three big things, phone banking, text banking, and postcarding. Now, postcarding is actually only has a few weeks left. That's where you actually write postcards to individual voters based on a script and you send it out to them and, and we can provide the cards and the postage. But the election is actually coming up so soon now that in a couple of weeks, it'll be too late to send the postcards. So that's actually the top priority is getting those out the door right away. Okay. And for phone banking, I think a lot of people know what that means, but it's, you know, calling, making phone calls to voters in the swing districts. And we've been doing that for, you know, nonstop since the past election. Um, we have lots of chefs available at the most convenient time for you. Um, you can find all of this, by the way, on, on westsidedemhq.org. Um, and uh, we also have the Westside Democratic Headquarters Facebook page, which will connect you to all of those options. Um, you can see all of our shift times. You can sign up for them on the uh, Mobilize website. Okay. And, and then the third thing, which is becoming the most popular one now, is text banking. And that's where you can actually texting, you know, hundreds or thousands of voters at a time. Uh, in about a minute, you can send out about a hundred texts and you can reach in about an hour, you can reach, you know, 30,000 people with your group of texters and you get maybe 1% of them respond to you, but you actually have conversations with more people because you're reaching out to so many people. Fantastic. So we've been having a lot of success with those types of GOTV, get out the vote operations. Um, and I uh, would absolutely welcome anybody who's interested to check out our 
organization on our website or the Facebook page. Will you and, repeat the, the URL one more time? Yeah, of course. It's it's westsidedemhq.org. Fantastic. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate you being on the Blunt Post with Vic. I hope to have you again. We can discuss as we trudge this road to November 3rd. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll see you out on the campaign trail. You got it. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks. That was John Katz, the president of the Santa Monica Democratic Club. Thank you, John, for your time and for being on the Blunt Post with Vic. I hope to speak with you soon in the next um, month or two as we head toward the election. The Blunt Post with Vic. Ashley Shine is an actress, writer, filmmaker, and activist. She's on the board of Still Bisexual and the HRC Community Engagement Committee. As an actress, she is best known for her roles in Dyke Central, streaming on Amazon Prime, and Johnson's Family Dinner. After recognizing the lack of LGBTQ representation within the comedy community, Ashley created Rainbow Bright Comedy, an LGBTQ improv troupe. As an out and proud black bisexual woman, Ashley continues to use her unique voice and perspective to fight racism, bi eraser, and biphobia in all communities. She continues this conversation with her new comedy series, Hashtag TMI. Hello, Ashley. Good morning. Thank you for being with me here on The Blunt Post with Vic. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. So you have lots happening right now, not just in your acting career, but as well as this coming Fridays, Still Bisexual, the organization's, you know, uh, the, the event that you're doing, celebrating by representation and by artists in film. So if you can tell us a little bit about that. Um, so I wanted to create a space. I'm a filmmaker. As a bisexual woman, I find it very difficult to see myself on in film festivals, on TV, um, in film. Usually the stories that are chosen for these festivals are ones where we e- are either coming out as bisexual or having a threesome, which both are, you know, those are things that happen, but they're not our whole entire story. And I feel like for digital media as well as um, mass media, this has been kind of like the dialogue or the revolving story. So I wanted to basically get a group of bi, fluid, pan, and queer filmmakers together and really talk about reclaiming our story and really shaping the smeared images that um, I feel like mass media has created um, about the, the experience of being bi and pan, especially during Bi Visibility Week and Bi Visibility Month. So um, that, that is basically what birthed this event, is basically taking back our stories. That's great. And great timing, as you said. Just great timing because there's so much awareness now about inclusiveness and really celebrating diversity. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences recently came up with new rules for contenders for best film in terms mm-hmm. of diversity. And, uh, you know, it's good to go to different 
layers and really make sure that we're hitting all types of people of different sexual orientations, gender identities, ethnicities, and so on and so forth. So, yes. And I think during this COVID time, what I really want people to realize is um, everyone's mental health is being challenged. And so when we go to these outlets like TV and movies, we kind of want to see ourselves or feel like we belong. There's a lot of people that are going back in a closet because their living situations have changed. Good point. They're having to be under this extreme pressure um, and having an outlet is really important um, especially when it comes to media. For, for me, being in Ohio growing up, not, not seeing myself in a lot of the shows because of my queerness, I was excited to, you know, see the L word and, and come to L.A. Um, but what I will say is that there has been kind of a disservice that a lot of the LGBTQ film festivals have been doing with just um, not being as inclusive. And we are all under this rum, uh, umbrella and one story is not more important than the other. And I just really would like this event to start the conversation of being more inclusive within our own um, LGBTQ plus community. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you're listening to my interview with Ashley Shine, the creator and star of the comedy series, Hashtag TMI. True. There is a lot of room for us in the LGBT community to also improve in regards to diversity and, and more, obviously. So, Ashley, it sounds like a really marvelous event. Uh, I want you to give us some highlights because I know that your own web series is also being highlighted. Yes, which I'm super excited about, not just because it's my web series, but because um, David J. Cork, he really did an amazing job creating a bisexual web series about a black man in New York. He had two wonderful series He's also um, doing a new documentary and has another series that's continuing the conversation um, of LGBTQ+. And so I personally never thought that I would sit down with another Black bisexual man and do an interview where we have, we're going to sit down and interview each other and I sent him my questions, he sent me his questions, and the questions are very deep because um, in the African-American community, we don't really talk about stuff like this. So the fact that, you know, we have two different stories, you know, and you get two different perspectives um, of being bi is so rare and so cool. In the morning, we have a panel of wonderful filmmakers, and I'm excited because they talk about, you know, um, how they have incorporated bi and pan and fluid into their work. And I feel like these filmmakers are the leading voices of the future of, of, of queer media. 
and we have Florencia from Dyke Central. We have Giovanni Espiritu, who is doing amazing work um, and is becoming an award-winning filmmaker. Um, we have Mara De La Rosa, who has an amazing web series. We have Michelle Sam, who is also making um, big moves in waves as a writer and a filmmaker in the industry. So it's it's gonna be a really lovely event, and I'm I'm so fortunate that um, Alexis Sanchez, who is also on the board of Still Bisexual, um, is also one of um, the people who was in the wonderful documentary Disarm Hate. Um, she's gonna also be there and speaking um, with the other cast members and the director, and it's exciting because. I feel like this documentary actually got the spectrum of the LGBTQ plus experience right. I, I agree because I've seen it and I'm a big fan of Disarm Hate. Ju- Juliana Burdick did a really good job. She did an amazing job and it was so true to form. And even when people were being um, problematic, there were lessons to be learned and there was so much takeaway that it was just beautifully done. And I, I hope to see more of that inclusiveness in other future documentaries because really have not gotten to this place as LGBTQ plus people without each other. Um, and especially without um, transgender people um, they have really been on the forefront of starting just an amazing revolution for our equality. And to see that in this documentary was uh, just amazing. Yeah, I agree. I, I look forward to, um, to Friday. It's this coming Friday from noon to 7 p.m. Pacific time, correct? Yes. And how can people be included or watch or be involved? So we made it that is $5. We didn't want to make it at a free event because we do, as an organization, have special events like um, Sacred Space, which is a Black LGBTQ wellness event um, that we have made free to the Black community. And we're, we also want to bring other events. So with the purchase of this ticket, that will be able to keep us funding um, special events for people of color, BIPOCs. Um, also, with the $5, you get access to the entire day. So the panel in the morning, um, the celebrating um, Black voices in the afternoon, and then in the evening, disarm hate. So That's a bargain. This, that's, that's, a, a bargain. that's a Starbucks. <laughs> it really is a Starbucks, um, but it. I, I'm excited that we were able to keep the price feasible because I, I understand with this climate, it was very important for our board members to have this be accessible, but also be able to hopefully fund another event that will help with mental health. I love that you bring up mental health because it's so important and not talked about enough. Ashley, before I let you go, um, I want to ask you about TMI and also other projects that you have and how can people watch TMI? 
so I'm excited that um, Hashtag TMI will be, our next festival will be the Dayton Independent Film Fest. And I am originally from Dayton, Ohio. So this festival is very um, near and dear to my heart because, uh, you know, you kind of believe the stories that you've been told over the years, especially when you come out. So when you have your hometown acknowledging you um, and also acknowledging you in such a way where they give you your own um, selection. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> yes, they, they created a selection for me, which was extremely fantastic, and I'm very honored. We will also be at the Real Q Film Festival. So it's, I submitted to 35 film festivals, and that just gave me time to, A, edit episode three and four, which... Some of my fans have been in my DMs asking for episode three and four. I hear you. I, I really hear you. I'm going to get it done. But also within this time, I want to make sure that I present hashtag TMI on a very safe, inclusive platform because um, you deserve to not have us be flagged for intimate scenes or or someone didn't like this. So... Um, I really am looking for distribution um, at this time. But those are the two Sweet. film festivals um, that are coming up. And I would love for anyone to follow us online for any updates. Well, tell us the, the website. Oh, yes. You can follow us at hashtag literally spelled out hashtag TMI underscore series on Twitter and hashtag TMI series on um, Instagram. Fantastic. Now going back to still bisexual and the bi visibility in film, it's $5, but how can people watch the program? Where do they go? Um, so when you purchase your ticket, we will send you all the Zoom links. Where do they and purchase so, the ticket? <laughs> um, to At Eventbrite. Eventbrite. So go to Eventbrite. Yeah. And type in still bisexual, bi visibility in film, and you should find it. Yes. Okay. And we also, if you also type in still bisexual, you'll see um, our other events. We have a beautiful event with um, Katie Hill that's coming up. She has a new book coming out about um, her experience as being, you know, a bisexual woman in Congress. So. That's fantastic. Ashley, thank you so much for being on the program this morning. Good luck on thank Friday. You. Good luck. Thank on... you so much, Vic. My pleasure. And we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. That was Ashley Shine, the creator and star of the comedy series Hashtag TMI. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic Ashley. The Blunt Post with Vic. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer Ricky Herrera and uh, of course thank you for joining me for another episode of the Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami. Uh, both Instagram and Twitter my handle is at Vic Jarami. That's V-I-C G-E-R-A-M-I. And for closing, I'm going to leave you with Candace Dillard's single, I See You.